Welcome back to the Nutanix Community Podcast with Dwayne Lesnar and Angelo Luciani. Let's get started. This week on the podcast, Dwayne chats with Case Baggerman. They discuss end-user computing, performance, and AMD nodes. It's packed with information, so get comfortable and let's join the conversation. Joining us today, we have a podcast legend, as it were. I would almost gather maybe 10 plus years doing podcasts, even more doing VDI. Welcome to the show, Case Beggerman. Hey, thank you, Dwayne. How are you doing? Oh, pretty good. Yeah, it, uh, I think early on in our Nutanix careers, we probably spent a lot of time together, but we, we haven't lately. So, you know, what, what have you been up to? Oh man, there's so much um, uh, going on and so much innovation um, that we uh, that we try to help drive. That it's um, you know, um, obviously um, Nutanix has always been a company that kept us busy, but the whole pandemic and um, the kind of the drive for innovation is is keeping keeping uh, me and my team busier than ever. Yeah, I get I get asked, you know, around where I live is oil oil country, so. You know that it's not been really great from a job perspective lately, um, but always luckily I have a job. But you know, people like with the pandemic or oh, is your company busy? And I'm like, well, uh, you know, you're almost kind of shy to tell them, well, we are busy. <laughs> but but EUC is probably one of those reasons that um, you know more people working from home has definitely helped uh, us that way. Oh, oh yeah, no, I I agree. Yeah, I, I think that um um if if you look at kind of the the, the time frame, um we we saw definitely we saw a lot of traction um kind of the f- first few months uh, maybe first few quarters where people were kind of patching and making sure that everybody was able to work from home and and um uh, have something to be productive. And kind of later on, all of those discussions kind of transformed in, in a different style of discussion where um, business continuity and DR became a, a, a hot topic because, you know, when you, when you have everybody working from, from a remote location uh, and there's such a, a big focus on, on that centralized virtual desktop environment, then you want something to uh, be, be able to do DR or business continuity as well, right? So um, discussions are changing, but but all for the good, because I think that um, a lot of companies um, have, have kind of realized that end user computing is, is a tier one application, uh, business critical, as we would say. Um, so, you know, uh, all, uh, all kind of good developments from, from that side. Now you, you know, you're CTP. I don't know if you're still the expert. You, you did the frontline chatter podcast for a long time. You, you know, you're doing EC, EUC digest. What, you know, you know, after years of doing BDI, what remains, you know, most important to end users today? Well, that's. I think that's a good question, and um, um, I, I think that uh, it's it's you know not so much for end users per, uh, per se, but if you look at uh, the 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 customers and the prospects that we try to help, it's definitely a combination in in finding the balance between the maximum density and the most optimal user experience, right? And what, what we're seeing is that there's a, a lot of demand from end users in terms of what they can expect from from their systems. Um, you know, if, if we look at, uh, uh, devices that people own at home, they want that simplicity. They want that speed. They want to, to have that access anywhere, anytime. 
And um, from a corporate IT perspective, we want to maximize the investments that we have done in, in the past and in the, in the near future. So there's a, uh, a constant kind of struggle between delivering what the end user wants. And, and in the end, that's a, a reliable, secure, fast um, access to their core applications and their line of business applications. And on the other side, you have corporate IT um, wanting to supply uh, secure, fast, and, and reliable access as well, but also maximize on the investment and, and get the most out of the systems that they have in place. You know, so so with that, what what what's new or different? I know that um, you've been working hard on you know testing the new AMD processors with with Nutanix. What uh, you know what. Does does anything change? Does life get easier? Because my my experience when I was doing lots of EDI was that it was like a complicated math formula that you had to, you know, you know, not only did you have to know what you're doing, but it was kind of like an art, you know, to get the sizing right. It wasn't it wasn't easy by any stretch. From a job job security perspective, I would still say that it's black black magic and voodoo. Um, but if, if we look at end user computing as, as, a, as a kind of a concept overall, it has a couple of important metrics to, uh, to be measured. Um, I think disk latency uh, is one of them. So how fast are your writes and reads from your VM to the actual storage? Because if you, if you go up too high in disk latency, you will notice sluggishness in, in the desktops. Now, that's something that you know, traditional end user computing has been struggling with for a while. Uh, there's disk capacity, which is a kind of an easy metric because we know how much disk we consume. So that means that we know how much disk space we need in, in the overall solution. Um, there's RAM, um, just plain old memory. Uh, and obviously there's a little bit of um, innovation on that side as well. But overall, RAM is pretty straightforward as well. And then there's, there's CPU. Um, and CPU... Has, has kind of been a, a metric that we've been struggling with as an industry because it's very uh, hard to grasp, right? It's it's not a very predictable kind of metric to uh, to work by where uh, use capacity or, or needed capacity from a storage perspective is pretty straightforward. It's measurable. It's something that we kind of can do a guesstimate up front. And if we if we deviate 10 or 12% or maybe 15%, it's not really hard to kind of adjust that. But from a, um, a CPU perspective, it's, it's much harder to get that right. And, um, you know, if we look at what Nutanix has been doing overall in the last like few years, and, and Dwayne, uh, I, I vividly remember the, the time and, and, and the places where we worked together to, uh, to make this happen. But um, if, if you look at these three things, uh, especially the storage kind of uh, the storage layer, I think that Nutanix has solved that issue uh, ever since the inception of, of the concept of HCI. So storage latency is typically not our issue. In all of the testing we've been doing, um, we never see that we run out of I.O. or that the latency goes up too high, which renders the solution un unusable, right? So from a storage perspective, if you if you stick within the zero and, and five millisecond uh, milliseconds uh, latency, then you've got a, a perfect um, user experience. Anything higher doesn't, uh, or anything lower doesn't really make sense. So if you if you go into the the sub millisecond latency, 
doesn't really make sense because if you look at the workload itself, if you look at end-user computing, there's a thing called uh, protocol round-trip times. And basically what that is, is when I click on the screen from my endpoint, so I'm, I'm based in, uh, in, in the Netherlands near Utrecht, and our closest data center location is based in, in Amsterdam, uh, which is still the Netherlands. But it's, you know, 200, uh, no, not 200. It's like 60, 70 kilometers apart. But when What's I'm like at home. Five, five milliseconds latency, typically? Um, it's a little bit more. It's, it's like, a, yeah. um, well, it, it's the round trip time. So it means that w- when I click on my endpoint in a virtual desktop, that kind of signal needs to traverse the network to my data center and back for me to actually see the update on the screen. And that's what we call proto- protocol round trip times. And that from, from my desktop to Amsterdam or from my physical location to Amsterdam is about 20, 23 milliseconds latency. So we can shave off all of the, the latency on the back end. But if my packages are not reaching me in time, um, I won't ever see that kind of the, the, the uh, benefit from, uh, from that lower storage latency, right? So, you know, and that's why for end-user computing, we don't typically need um, all flash systems. We can do it with hybrid systems, but if you want to go all flash for uh, future sake, then by all means do so. But from a storage perspective, uh, performance-wise, we don't really need all flash or NVMe drives for that matter. Um, yeah, this they, capacity. The, oh, go ahead. No, just the regardless of how big the desktop is, there's probably a, a giant chunk that's just sitting idle or not used, uh, you know, just like a file server would typically be. Yep, exactly. <clears throat> so um, that that leaves this capacity is pretty easy and straightforward to, to calculate with. Um, same goes for RAM. Um, the typical desktop is somewhere between four and eight gigs. Like that's the, if, if I sum it down, it's somewhere between that. If you know how many desktops you can run on a system, you can multiply that by, uh, by the RAM you want to sign per desktop. You take a, a reservation for our controller VM and a little bit over overhead of the hypervisor, and you're good to go. Um, but CPU, uh, as said, you, it's, it's all. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, on the the RAM thing, that one thing that's I've I've seen lately, and I think it's because of public cloud vendors, is that people want to right size their workloads. And I I always I ask them, is like, would you want a desktop? Like, say you needed four gigs of RAM, would you want to use a desktop that's only four gigs of RAM? Like I don't, when I look at my machine and it starts to get slow, it's like, it's, it's slowly like 60, 70% utilized. It is a dog, <laughs> you right. know, it's like, yeah. you need a lot of free Ram for windows to work properly. At Ab- least. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And you, you've got applications that are, are chewing up Ram like crazy. If you, if you just look at a uh, Chrome or, or any of the browsers, right. They, they uh, chew Ram like, like it's breakfast. So it's, it's good <laughs> to have a little bit of, um, uh, additional RAM in the system in order to uh, to make it performant. Um, again, somewhere between four and eight is kind of where I see the industry right now, and it's it's a broad scope, but that's uh, the majority of the desktops are are sized like that. Um, and and you know if you, if you look at CPU, like I said, it's always been a hard metric to capture, and especially you know if you look back a few years where we had uh, CPUs with a relatively low amount of cores. Uh, densities were relatively low, and now with um, um, kind of the the testing that we're doing with AMD, we're we're seeing a a massive jump in in terms of density and performance altogether, and and that's something that um that I love to talk about because that's for me that is fundamentally changing discussions with customers as well. What are you talking from a core count perspective? 
Right. So, um, you know, if, if, you, if you look at the nodes that we've tested in our lab, uh, those are uh, uh, HPE DX385s um, with two CPUs and 32 cores each. So that makes a total of, of 64 cores without uh, any, any hyper-threading or whatnot. So they're, um, they're very high-dense, uh, very powerful CPUs as well, because besides the fact that, they're, um, like a, a, that there's a high number of cores, um, the clock speed of these CPUs is, uh, is still 2.9 gigahertz. So if you have uh, single-threaded apps in your environment, and I, I guarantee you every environment that's <laughs> out there right now has single-threaded apps, and especially in the the finance world and healthcare world, um, those high clock speeds will will definitely help you in terms of performance and and will make lives a lot easier for uh, for end users because instead of forcing uh, all of the traffic over over a very small country road, now all of a sudden you have this four lane highway uh, that you can fully utilize. So um, the combination of a lot of cores. Uh, and high clock speeds is definitely something that uh, that helps drive user experience. Yeah, I'd always be happy with something faster. That's for sure. <laughs> and I, I guess that um, um, you know, AMD came out with their uh, their new Epics. Um, Intel kind of responded with the Cascade Lake refreshes, and those were really good CPUs as well, right? So if if you look at the the Intel ones. Um, you can get two times twenty cores at three gigahertz, or or two times tw- uh, twenty four cores at two point nine or three uh, three point one gigahertz. Um, that said, that's those are decent core counts and and decent clock speeds. But the AMDs, and and I guess that's kind of the um, uh, the tipping point for me. So we we did a lot of testing with these AMDs, and when we started off, if you if you look at the configuration that that we um, that we have. It was a um, uh, like I said a DX three eighty five with with two times the um, the Epic seven five four two running at two point nine gigahertz. Um, we had eight nodes, all of them had one terabyte of RAM, uh, two SSDs, ten spinning disks, and what we saw in our first initial testing was that we could host up to three hundred sixty users, uh, Windows ten knowledge worker with login VSI. Um, size at two V CPUs and two and a half gigs of RAM, and that's just an insane number, right? That's but that being said, that is the login VSI max. So that's the maximum number of users that you can host on the system before you start impacting the um, the user experience. Now, typically, we want to be under that hundred percent because nobody wants to run their uh, their servers smoking hot at one hundred percent CPU because things will start falling over. So what we um, typically tend to do is take a step back and move to about 80% of CPU utilization because that way we're still comfortable in terms of uh, what the system can handle, if there's a peak, um, if there's a uh, period in time that uh, that the desktops are requiring a little bit more uh, CPU, then we still have the headroom on on that host to, uh, to actually do that. So... Um, we tested with two vCPUs and, and two and a half gigs of RAM and, and got that insane number. Um, and basically what we did is uh, we, we took a step back and looked at the, the horsepower that these systems ha- uh, have. And we actually went on and, and tested with three vCPUs. And um, we got to uh, 235 users, uh, again, uh, Windows 10 Knowledge Worker profiles on a single node. And that number for, for me is is so... Uh, high that it 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 shifts the discussion, and it yeah, it shifts the discussion. Oh, 
Sorry, Dwayne. No, I was just going just going to agree with you. I think you know the the amount of desktops is is quite high, but it. I think I think you're getting there. I think with with for what I uh, having to maintain an environment, um, it's nice to see large numbers, but not not for the sake of having the large number. But for me, I want to I want to be able to maintain this thing. So that is Absolutely. where I yeah. Yeah, that, that, and that's kind of the um, uh, the the point that I uh, I was going to make. Indeed, it, 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 you're spot on. It's um, it's great to have these high numbers, but in 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 kind of the overall solution, you need to be able to manage the environment, and also you want to probably want to minimize your failure domains because having two hundred fifty or or, or two hundred thirty users on on one box is great from a uh, corporate perspective, and uh, people will probably love it for for their density and and the cost perspective that um, that comes with it. But when a host goes down, you you potentially have two hundred thirty five people on the phone saying that that their desktop isn't working anymore. So that is a a, a fundamental shift in the discussion with customers and, and prospects that. Um, instead of having that discussion of how many users can we cram onto this box until we have to buy a new one, or in in in, in larger cases, um, what kind of building blocks are we building um, to make sure that we we can maintain that kind of a repetitive model in these large scale environments? Now all of a sudden we have to change the discussion. And uh, dear Mr. Customer or Mrs. Customer, have you ever thought about your failure domains? How big would you allow to, your failure domain to be? How many users do you want to host on that single node for you to be comfortable um, when there's a node failure? And that's something that um, that I haven't seen a lot in a conversation with my customers. Have, have you seen that a lot, Dwayne? Um. You know, to be honest, lately I haven't done too much in VDI, but I've never, I've never had the luxury of asking anyone to hold 700 desktops in one in one node before. Um, so yeah, it's it's kind of crazy on on that side. But I I just I just know I would sure love to like move a hundred desktops to like move a hundred to between five servers instead of trying to, you know, move all 700, you know, it, yeah, it's just, it's crazy how, how easy it would be having to wait for a motion to finish <laughs> before you can do an update. <clears throat> yeah, definitely. If, if, if you think about that, if you, if you need to do motion and, and, or live motion or whatever kind of the technology stack is that your hypervisor supports, um, all of that obviously impacts the uh, the overall system as well, right? So if if you're moving, let's say 100 desktops at the, at a time or 150 desktops at a time, it's a very different metric than than uh, moving three, four, or 500 desktops at the same time. So um, you know, it 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 all kind of so it starts with density on on that host, and then it it kind of waters down to management, to comfort levels, to SLAs and whatnot. And uh, again, I think that um, um, as Nutanix, we uh, we broke the barrier of storage. We broke the barrier of storage latency. Um, RAM was always pretty straightforward, and now together with with in this case AMD, we're breaking the barriers with uh, uh, on the CPU side as well. So I think that allows us to have a much better conversation when it when it comes down to um, um, end user experience. Because in the end, um, I think it all comes around uh, to end user experience, right? How um, I'd, I'd love to get a high dense environment, but in the end, if if my desktop is not performing. 
Um, I can I can throw all the money at that system that I want, but in in the end, it has to perform for that end user. They have to accept it, otherwise, they won't start using it. Does anything change on the licensing side? I think VDI VDI has usually has its own licensing model, which tends to work out well. But I'll ask the question just in case there's any bugaboos. No, and in, in, in fact, um, if if you look at the way that we as Nutanix are licensing, so from a broker perspective, it's always CCU or or named user, right? So it's always concurrent usage or named user, which is um, irrelevant to the the hardware platform that that uh, lies underneath. Um, as Nutanix, we have multiple licensing options, and one of them is VDI Core, which is very much aligned with that concurrency model that that uh, these brokers will have as well. So from from that perspective, if you have a um, Citrix environment or a Horizon environment or a Frame environment, uh, you can actually license as many desktops as you have on on the broker side, um, on the um, basically the infrastructure side as well, and you're good to go there. So it's um, it doesn't have to change anything. Um, now, if you're a tra- more traditional licensing model with with CBL. Um, then higher core counts might impact your licensing. But again, if it's for a VDI play or an end-user computing play, uh, VDI core as a licensing model uh, makes absolute sense to align perfectly with, uh, with the licensing that you would have on the broker side. Did, um, you know, with the, the added horsepower from the CPU, do you, do you see the, the intensities rising if everything remained the same or... I guess I'm not really sure how to ask the question, but what I what I see happening is just advent of more security products sitting on the actual desktop, <laughs> like yeah. Or I I think it's a it, it one follows the other, right? I mean, um, if you look at um, let, let's take a step back and 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 think about um, your personal devices. Personal devices have become increasingly heavier in terms of the workload that they can run. Um, and I, I guess between you and me, um, I my first computer was a Commodore sixty four. Um, it had limited capabilities. Now my my kind of go to device is my iPhone. I, I think I do most of my work on my iPhone. Um, and that thing compared to that Commodore is just crazy uh, in terms of horsepower and what it can do. But so as we go. Me as an end user, uh, I'm, I'm becoming more and more demanding, and I'm requiring devices that that will fix that or suit that demand. So um, I think you're right. So I think you're right when it comes down to security, when it comes down to AV, um, when it comes down to applications that run inside of that desktop. Uh, we will we. Uh, it's an everlasting kind of race against uh, applications that are poorly written or just consuming more uh, resources on, on, the, on the system side because we want to deliver that UX that, um, that we want to deliver to that end user because they're, they're used to that kind of Netflix or, or Amazon Prime experience on, uh, in their home situation. So you want to deliver um, similar experiences on, on the enterprise side as well. And yeah, what I'm uh, seeing, just to, to add to that, um, on our portal, there's a, um, uh, if you go to uh, portal.nutanix.com and you go to um, the uh, support portal, there's a, uh, like in the hamburger menu, there's a, um, there's a little item called solutions documentation. 
Um, you can find a Windows 10 analysis or impact analysis document there, uh, which was written by, uh, by Sven Huisman, um, one of the architects on my team. And what we're showing there is basically the impact that uh, just Windows has from one version to another. And uh, we're trying to help you in terms of um, getting insights on, on what changes from one Windows 10 version to another. And even just Windows, right, has a different kind of resource consumption model from every build on. So if you're at, uh, I don't know, 1909 right now and you're looking at um, uh, 2020 H2, you might be answered for a surprise because those two behave very different in, in terms of the CPU that they consume, the RAM that they consume, and potentially uh, the disk as well. So um, having all of that information makes for uh, a better prepared uh, migration to this newer version. So having that little bit more of oomph ready in the system, if you go for a, a um, Nutanix A and B system, provide you a better kind of future-ready state for uh, for different wor- win- uh, Windows versions and uh, new security agents and whatnot. Yeah, the the extra headroom for the inevitable, whatever whatever the next Spectra or Meltdown ends up being, <laughs> you know, like... <laughs> exactly. It, it's it's going to happen. <laughs> it's just, it's almost the inevitable, but... Yeah, I think, I think that's really awesome, you know. So we have, a, you know, support for Intel, AMD... You know, we're seeing higher densities, but overall getting to a place where, you know, things failing or operations is just becoming easier. And I guess that's like the, you know, I think Nutanix has been successful on on making life easy. And so hopefully, you know, it's still a transitioning down. But I do have one last question and you're only allowed a minimum of 10 words to answer. Persistent or non-persistent desktops? It depends on the situation. <laughs> I knew I wasn't going to get it. Just one word answer. Uh, no, I'm. I'm uh, all right. Let me let me rephrase. Um, I'm Dutch, so I would say non-persistent desktops. Uh, I like it. I like it. Do, do you want yeah. my my explanation uh, as well? Sure, go for it. All right. So what what I'm seeing, and this is kind of my, um, uh, what I'm seeing across kind of the, 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 um, the different regions that, that my team supports, right? So we're a global team. So that means we'll support um, um, the US and MIA and APJs. And, and um, the, the major difference, there, there's two differences when it comes down to end user computing between uh, Europe and, uh, and uh, the US. One is um, the US does a lot of published apps and uses RDSH, um, Zen app, uh, um, server-based computing for published apps a lot and, and only reverts to um, VDI for desktops. In Europe, we tend to do a lot of uh, RDSH, uh, server-based computing, and ZenApp, uh, whatever uh, name you want to use, for published desktops as well. And that's non-persistent by nature. So that means that we tend to invest a lot of time in, in UEM products, in application virtualization, in all of that. And our deployments are typically a little bit smaller than the U.S. ones. So what I see is that in the U.S., people start with persistent desktops just to get things started. And in Europe, uh, we tend to invest a little bit more time up front to make sure that we have everything nailed down in UEM, user environment management and application virtualization. And thus we're able to do non-persistent desktops a little bit easier than, uh, than in the US. So, you know, there's uh, there's my explanation to that. 
All right. Well, I yeah, I don't. It's all good. I think it, I just think it's better overall. Yeah, but it does require a lot of a lot of work up front to get right. But the you know as we were as we're leaving today, why don't uh, what's next on the EUC podcast? What what's on the the agenda looming over in your world? I think the, um, the 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 previous one was around the launch of the RTX boards with NVIDIA. Um, we sh- we blogged about the performance that we get with the RTX boards. This one was around the AMD systems. I think the next one will be around files, FS logics, and end user computing. Nice. It's it's funny actually to see what's left of the you know companies from eight years ago around VDI. You know what's actually broken through or stand the test of time because there's there's a ton, especially on the storage side that never that never made it. <laughs> um, so, you know, if um, if they're still being talked about today, you're probably in a pretty good place. <clears throat> oh, absolutely. All right. Well, thanks for your time. Appreciate it. I think uh, this one has been a really good podcast around VDI knowledge, a little bit of history, but more importantly, some some new tools that should make uh, people's lives easier. Thanks for coming today. Hey, thanks for the invite, Dwayne. I hope you enjoyed that. It's always nice to hear from Case. Be sure to check out the Nutanix community at next.nutanix.com. That's where you'll find our community blogs, discussion forums, user group information, and training and certification news. So with that, from your friends here at Nutanix, have a great week.